we didn't put ourselves on payroll till 2017 for the first time. And even that was a nominal salary. And so I would say the media would, what happens then is there's a, there's a, there's a gap in expectation, right? You think that you're going to, one year from now, you're going to be, you know, successful and you're going to be hitting your goals. When for the most part, there's that old saying, it takes five years to know if you have a business and that's a lot of time or to be an overnight success. There's a lot of ways people describe it, but to me, that's the part that is never really covered. And I think if the media could focus more on the struggles in between, I think that would be a lot more beneficial for folks that are going through those, those struggles currently. And we almost gave up a few times. Everyday triumphs, extraordinary outcomes, a space where narratives connect. This is the Big Idea Box podcast. Born at the Lab Miami, this podcast invites all entrepreneurs to share, support, and empower. So guys, thank you so much for, for your time to talking to us, to asking uh, answering a couple of questions from me and from the audience. Uh, hopefully, we'll make this a very interesting. Uh, I'm sure we will make this a, a very interesting talk. So, to start off, I wanted to ask you. I mean, it'd be great to learn a little bit about your path, uh, growing the company, and and trying to understand a little bit about what you guys were doing before ecosystems and and what has made your experience thus far before uh, creating ecosystems the the successful business you have today. Before Ecosystems, I had graduated from the University of Miami. I can't really say that following that graduation, that my four months uh, traveling the West Coast surfing really prepared me for, for <laughs> Ecosystems. However, I can tell you that for me, it's been a lifelong you know, journey, a lifelong building of character, you know, making sure that I'm putting myself in the right position um, in tough situations. You know, many of these traits that transfer over to Ecosystem day to day. You know, I really believe, you know, personally that when you first select who and then select what, I really believe if Richard and I uh, went into any business, we would be in the same position we are today just because of the way that we have been able to translate our upbringing to, you know, to the business. So that's how, that's how I got here. No, no great, fantastic story, but I think it's very relatable to a lot of folks, especially coming out of college. Surfing in the West Coast is actually pretty fantastic, right? For a couple yeah. of months. So. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence has never had a boss, which is really not fair. But yeah, same with me. Like I, there's no great, I did this to start a company. And I think that that's a good thing in terms of the fact that anyone with the right kind of drive can do it. I mean, we both were passionate about the environment. I was actually living in Shanghai, China, before Lawrence convinced me to move back to the States to, uh, to start the business. So really what it just came down to is the fact that we had an opportunity to marry our passion for the environment with uh, something that we can build a business on. And that is the real origin motivation for ecosystems. Hey, before we move on to the next question, I wanted to ask you, what were you doing in Shanghai? I came out of college in the last recession. And, uh, and so it was either a not great entry-level job here in the U.S. or a not great entry-level job overseas. And so I just took the plunge and, you know, did an internship program over there and just lived. I didn't speak any Mandarin before I went. I just sort of wung it, which is the same thing I did, I guess, starting a company too, right? But 
the main the main thing that I took away from uh, China is actually I met my wife there and brought her back to the U.S. Who she's from Italy, so I would say it's a big big win for me. Pretty important. Hey, that's great. That's amazing. So, guys, for those who don't know ecosystems, would you would you mind explaining to us what problems the company is solving and what what type of solution you've built? Plug there, Richard, for some brownie points. <laughs> Very good at that. Yeah. So we we're in an interesting position. Dichotomy between where we solve an environmental issue, but also a pretty serious business issue for those in the, in the industry. You know, from a climate standpoint, we attack climate change, you know, head on, installing practical ways and water and energy without changing the routine of residents, which is the, probably the biggest plug for our company. We don't ask people to to change any sort of uh, you know activity the way they run about. So we've been very successful in implementing those programs. You know, another area that we solve is housing affordability, right? So over the last 10 years, fertility rates have increased by 80%. And we are already at a point where you know, many Americans, millions of Americans cannot afford utility bills on top of other life expenses, health insurance, et cetera. So we have to this point impacted over 150,000 Americans. So now, from me and on the climate side, that is what I'm most proud of. Richard, you go ahead and get into get into the business side. Yeah, the next question is always, what exactly does any of that mean? So, you know, in practice, what we do is we attack a lot of the biggest issues at scale. One of the guiding statistics that set us on this path is that EPA estimates that U.S. homes waste a trillion gallons of water every single year, and that 20% of all toilets in the U.S. are currently leaking up to 200 gallons of water per day. So as two sort of budding, slightly confused entrepreneurs, you know, we thought there must be something in these toilets here. And so, you know, what we did is we took a, a consulting operation and then we decided that, you know, we didn't really be, want to be consultants. We wanted to implement. So we taught ourselves some basic plumbing skills, brought on some folks and tried out some services. Uh, what that has ultimately resulted in is uh, we go into large real estate portfolios now and we in, we basically take old beat up properties for the most part let's say or even just just older properties workforce housing affordable housing what they call vintage housing so stuff built in the 80s or earlier and we bring it to 21st century standards and what that does is so we institute now uh, we upgrade all plumbing fixtures we eliminate those leaks we we, in, we put in water efficient shower heads which reduce usage by 40 percent reduce faucet usage by 50%. So we're doing all these basic things that even if someone is a, takes long showers, you know, washes their hands forever, they can't help but save. On top of that, as we grew, our, a lot of our customers were asking us to implement more energy efficient services. And so now we also have a full scale lighting and uh, controls division that goes in and upgrades all these properties with new upgrade LED lighting, smart thermostats and other sort of packages like that. And so the end result of what we do is, you know, we've saved over 3 billion gallons of fresh water. We've forget our exact stat, but hundreds of thousands of tons of CO2 have been prevented from entering the atmosphere. At the same time, residents are reducing their utility bills, as Lawrence mentioned, and our customers are reducing their operating expenses and they're getting uh, more valuable properties. And so basically everyone's winning and we've had a, a huge amount of success in convincing businesses to get involved with the fight against climate change. Amazing. Let me track back to one thing that you mentioned. I want to make sure I got this, this number right. 20% of toilets right now are currently leaking. 
with EPA. Basically, if you look at the, if you ever lift the lid and you see a little rippling happening on the surface there, that's a leak. Wow. Or if it ever like you have your ghost, a ghost sounds like it's flushing in the middle of the night. That's a leak. <laughs> Crazy. So you know the toilet ghost one? I think I do actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as well, but <laughs> now I can. <laughs> coming over. Perfect. So guys, this is a really interesting question that I was dying to, to get the answer when I wrote it. It's, what is the key to building a business and operating a business with your, with your brother? How, how do you guys do it? Go ahead, Rich. Yeah, my, I mean, Lawrence and I have been extremely close our entire lives. We're two years apart. So, you know, and we, have, we share a lot of the same passions in this regard. So from that respect, we are always really aligned. I think we also have very complementary personalities and skill sets. So for better or worse for our staff, we both, we both have, I think, operate off instinct at times in a way that has served us well, but it also drives our team crazy once in a while. We also have different strengths. So for example, Lawrence, really when we decided, when we worked on this business, I, I served more of a sales sort of backend operations type role while Lawrence oversaw all of our implementation teams. And, you know, both of our skill sets sort of really match those. And so, and there's a trust factor, I would say, being with someone who I've known since, you know, he was born that you, you can't really, it's very difficult to build in a, in a more, maybe more traditional co-founder role. And so I think overall, you know, family ties can be messy, but for us, it's, it's, you know, it's never really been an issue or a challenge. I would say, what do you think, Lawrence? I think uh, you pretty much nailed it. Um, the thing is when you do operate off instincts, obviously instincts can be different. For me, the biggest uh, reason that we've been able to work together so well is it boils down to respect. And I think that goes for, you know, whether it's your brother, it's a partner, it's a significant other, you know, you have to have the utmost respect for each other. And then you have to have that level of respect in order to communicate the things that are not working. So, you know, for me, on top of everything Richard has said, uh, that's how I feel. Yeah, it's been so successful. With all this current context that has been going on with COVID and all that, all the, the current crisis, it's very interesting for us to understand how do entrepreneurs handle adversity, doubt, or, or I mean, whatever the million types of feelings that you might have uh, felt over the past couple of months. It'd be interesting to get your perspective on that. How do you hand, how do you cope with this? So for me, it's all it's all frame of mind. You know, we we have a saying around the office that. If you look at us and we're not freaking out, then you should not be. You know, things are always going to go wrong. Um, you, know, you need to keep a cool head. And one of the most important things is that you don't repeat mistakes, right? So creating mechanisms around you know, issues that arise is key to successful business in the long term. As you know, we've faced a lot of setbacks uh, recently and internationally as a, as, a, as a world. And we've tried to so showcase this sort of level-headed delivery to our, to our employees. Yeah, I think to, to build on that specifically, you know, we do a lot of work inside of people's homes and, you know, that week in March, whichever one it is now, you know, we had basically eight projects put on hold in the span of a few days. And so what we had to do is really figure out at the time. So that's most of our workforce is part of our field teams. And so, you know, we really had to, I don't know, like, you know, we had been thinking about it a little bit, but it's not like, unfortunately, I don't think anyone really saw this coming at this level. And so we had to 
try to figure out if we could move things up in our pipeline that were outdoors, that were classified as essential work to keep people on payroll. You know, we had to tell a number of our staff that we couldn't do that, that we had to furlough them. That was extremely difficult for us. We also, you know, as, as things have gone on, of course, you know, if part of your business is operating in people's homes, it's not going to come back right away. And so, you know, we've had to deal with trying to make sure that we had enough capital. One thing we're lucky with is even though I didn't discuss it before, even though we've grown at the rate we have, we are a bootstrap company. And so, you know, we have no, no investor capital. And so for the, basically the first time since we hit, as Endeavor likes to call it, our, our inflection point, you know, we had to think about burn rate, something we didn't even have that term in our head anymore because we were growing. And so it, it challenged us in a lot of different ways. And I, but I think for whatever reason, in those moments, we had enough clarity and enough confidence in our ability to, you know, manage this crisis that it, it, I'm not saying it was easy and I'm not saying we didn't have doubts or concerns, but I think we had enough confidence in ourselves that we were going to do the best we could for our people. And I think overall we did. I mean, all of our folks are now off furlough, you know, we're back to growing and we've had projects are kicking back up again, but definitely for, for companies like us that are all service, you know, this is an extremely challenging year, but, you know, we make it a point also to make sure, like, as Lawrence said, that we, we make that you only sweat the big things, you know, the little, the little things, our staff should never feel any sort of anxiety from our level, in our opinion. It's interesting that you mentioned that now that most of the team is, or, or the team is back, uh, back working with you guys, how have you dealt with this crisis? I mean, what were the things that you did in order to, to, to stay afloat and, and how do you see this? Do you see the, the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel or when do you see it or how do you see this playing out going forward? So, I, you know, we believe that every negative, every issue, whether it's in life or in business, exposes an opportunity. And for us, in a strange way, we credit COVID to saving our business in the, in the short term. And you know, just to explain that a little bit more, there were a lot of processes and systems that were duct taped together while we were on the, you know, the rocket ship of growth that it gave us an opportunity to sit, you know, step back. You know, COVID exposed a lot of those weaknesses. And we've spent you know, the last four or five months laser focused on building out systems you know, getting the right butts in the seat, making sure that we're in a place to really come back and come back stronger where we are now, as Richard mentioned, around the same headcount as pre-COVID. Yeah, and I, I would just add to that, you know, it's these, these types of crises. Uh, we, we're lucky also that we kept a lot of cash in the business. You know, a lot of times people are saying, you put your money to work and you put your cash to work, et cetera, et cetera. We had well over a year's worth of cash, even if no PPP or you know, disaster loans came out, which it's fortunate. We're glad that those came out as well. That was, that could be a whole nother webinar on how we had, you had to navigate that. Our finance director, Marina, I think got a few gray hairs from trying to figure that process out. But uh, I think it's, it's okay at times if you have that capacity to be a little bit conservative with money and keep it in the business and particularly to make sure that it's safe or that you can use that capital to grow. A lot of entrepreneurs want to extract and, you know, we, we don't. We never want to cripple the business for personal gain. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, maybe if we have time later, I'll ask you a little bit more about the PPP and disaster loan. It seems like you have an interesting story behind it. Oh, that's a good setup for Endeavor helping us out there too. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so guys, one other question that I wanted to ask you is, what keeps you up at night, other than the toilet leak ghosts that you were talking about before? First, COVID, but COVID exposed the bigger. Previously, I would have said people, you know, not being able to stack projects, not being able to keep our teams working, and not being able to supply, you know, or at least you know, fund the ability for our employees to put food on the table for their families. That that naturally would be my answer, considering that the bulk of the headcount you know, falls under. Our end, and I'm so intimately involved with all of our employees from the technicians all the way up to the office staff. And Richard and I both care about our, you know, our employees as much as we do about our business. Yeah. For me, it's things are starting to open back up. We have a lot of big opportunities, particularly we've operated in some extent as an outsourced sustainability department for a bunch of our customers. And they have certain goals that they had set pre-COVID, they're still trying to hit. So we're trying to hurry up and make sure that we finish what we started with our systems and, you know, making sure we're getting all of our hires in place before we restart our hopefully growth path. And so, you know, we had, we basically gave ourselves till the end of the year to really focus on the internals before looking externally again towards growth. We're still having most of our business throughout our history has been referrals. We've been very fortunate there. Yeah, but for me, it's making sure that we're ready for 2021 if and when things really start to get going again. In terms of, it's hard to know when, you know, we'll see normal, whatever that will be again. But, you know, I think most businesses now, it seems like, have had at least some degree of normalcy return. And so... Definitely. So I know you guys are super involved with the, with the entrepreneurial community here in Miami, right? I know you've, you're involved with different groups. You have many friends who have businesses as well. And I just wanted to learn a little bit more about your experience, talking to peers, talking to mentors, talking to other business owners. How, how has this contributed to your performance or to you coping with different issues? Maybe during COVID or before COVID or, or when starting the business, it'd be interesting for us to learn a little bit more about that. I'll start here. So I think the most vital resource we, you have is, if any business owners are in the, in the audience, is peers. I think that, you know, even mentors and things are, you know, extremely valuable. But to me, sitting down and speaking with other entrepreneurs and business owners about sort of the challenges you face, one, helps you realize that a lot of folks are dealing with the exact same thing as you are, even when, it, you know, being at the pinnacle of an organization is a lot of times a lonely position. Um, you know, for me, it's, you know, within, within the Endeavor community, it's getting to know the Endeavor entrepreneurs. When we started this company, they were not the type of resources there are now. I mean, the fact the lab didn't exist when we started, uh, Refresh Miami was just starting. And so it's been really valuable. In addition to that, Knight Foundation helped found an organization called the Local Leaders Collective that I'm a part of, where I sit with a forum of the same eight entrepreneurs every month. I actually came off a meeting today. And, you know, that kind of regularity and that sort of infrastructure that I think has been built, there's obviously a long way to go, has been extremely useful. I don't know if you want to touch on mentorship, Lawrence, but for me, the peer networking has been the most important thing for, for our growth from that perspective. We'll be right back after this short break. If you're looking for a space to find motivated and inspired individuals for more opportunity, check out The Lab Miami. Our space is the original co-working community located in the heart of the Wynwood Arts District. We believe entrepreneurs, startups, and corporations alike need an open and inspiring place to gather, experiment, and foster connections. At The Lab, we offer creative workspace solutions, including 
co-working, virtual offices, dedicated desks, and full-service private office suites. We're also an event venue for off-site meetings, conferences, workshops, and receptions alongside hosting our own curated events targeted towards entrepreneurs like you. You're invited to learn, act, and build with our innovative community. To get more involved, feel free to pass by for a visit or contact us via email at info at thelabmiami.com. Learn more on our website at www.thelabmiami.com. Daniel Echeverria and John McIntyre have been with us now since basically you know, our selection process. And it's, it's just really nice to be able to sit down with someone who understands your business, who cares about your business, cares about the entrepreneurs, and cares about the local community. And for them to be able to take you back and help you understand that, you know, maybe what you're looking at is because you're in the smoke, right? Take a step back. You know, they bring experience from other businesses, many that are Endeavor organizations. And, you know, for me, just those meetings, preparing for those meetings, setting the agenda has allowed me to, you know, structure my mind, you know, take it you know, almost like a chapter at a time, like a book, rather than, you know, looking back at the end of a year. So that type of structure, along with, you know, one, you could take a little bit of credit here, you know, following up with us, making sure that we're utilizing the resources um, at hand uh, has, has been extremely beneficial for us. I'd also like to add that it is a lonely place sometimes running an organization. And, you know, if any folks want to reach out to us, I, Richard at ecosystems.com, like I talk to folks all the time and I'm always happy to help think through issues. I'm no, I'm no genius. I just try to use logic but hey it's it's really great that you offer that Richard I mean I had a follow-up question to this based on your on your comments you were mentioning that when you started out there weren't that many either organizations or networks around in, in, in the city that would create this support or mentorship or or yeah peer network for for starting entrepreneurs so how did you seek advice when you started out or did you seek advice did you find advice when you're starting out I would say, uh, you know, who, someone who continues to be a mentor to us and is, you could say, the chief of our advisory board is our dad. We really didn't honestly seek much advice locally or have much. And also, it's, always, it's also been strange for us because while we are a Miami-based company, our services are national. And so almost being here is because we want to be here. And we believe in Miami, not because we have to be here, but we, we truly believe that this city is a lot to offer us. And so our dad has been someone we've leaned on the entire time. You know, he, he grew up in real estate, so he was a huge, huge advisor to us there. And now that he's, uh, he's retired, he's still an active part of the company and is someone we lean on quite heavily, particularly on the field side of the business. Yeah, I know he's your secret weapon. These are fine, right? <laughs> now that we were talking about peers and, and, and networks and community, I'm curious to know the answer to this question, right? Given where I work, what has been your experience going through the Endeavor selection process? For, for me, it kind of circles back to what I mentioned um, you know, with our advisory board and with you, Juan. The first time that we ever had to put you know, pen to paper and really think through uh, the business and almost pitch the business in a way that many companies that are not bootstrapped would have had to done, would have had to do is when we went through the process. So, you know, that to this day has set the foundation of what we build on for our, our annual goals and resetting our KPIs and, you know, doing things 
of that nature. So, you know, the process you know, from the, from traveling to the, to going through it, to meeting everybody, to, you know, having to validate the business to, you know, with outside um, individuals is something that was foreign. And, and for me, it was, it was extremely valuable. It's just something that if, until you do it, you, it's tough to, to explain, or it's tough to really gain that type of insight. I would follow up there and say, Lawrence touched on, he called the smoke, call like above the clouds. So there's a moment where you go into the selection process and you have to think beyond your day-to-day issues. And it, there's a lot of ways that people can do that. But for us, particularly in growth mode, and even now, we, we struggle sometimes to get beyond the day-to-day, week-to-week and think about the month-to-month, year-to-year and beyond. And when you go into the selection process, you have to justify so much about your business and your model and your revenues and your outlook and your market, the whole thing. And you have to really you have to be dialed in, in a way that particularly for us, we have no full board. We have no investors to answer to gave us an accountability that we didn't have previously, which it was still one of the most valuable experiences we've had in as being part of Endeavor. Great. It's great to hear guys. We have a couple of questions here from the audience, actually really interesting questions. So the first one is what are some things that, they didn't tell you in the media about being an entrepreneur that you that you've realized that uh they were actually true but they weren't being told it's actually really interesting to know that's a great question i think there's there's a lot actually i think the the problem is that when you the media covers companies they cover the origin story and they cover the success there's no there's not much coverage of that in between time and even us in this talk just because of the brevity of it we jumped from when we started our inflection point but you know we started in 2012 we didn't pairs we had a side hustle the whole time in real estate as we were growing to make sure we kept the doors open so we would get um students rentals to try to get commission checks keep the door open but we didn't put ourselves on payroll till 2017 for the first time and even that was a nominal salary and so i would say the media would what happens then is there's a there's a there's a gap in expectation, right? You think that you're going to one year from now, you're going to be, you know, successful and you're going to be hitting your goals. When for the most part, there's that old saying, it takes five years to know if you have a business and that's a lot of time or to be an overnight success. There's a lot of ways people describe it, but to me, that's the part that is never really covered. And I think if the media could focus more on the struggles in between, I think that would be a lot more beneficial for folks that are going through those those struggles currently. And we almost gave up a few times because we just the mar- either whatever happened, the market wasn't catching up to us. We were doing too much educating and we weren't closing enough sales. One client not paying us could have shut us down. So, yeah, I think I think everyone would be benefit from from those types of stories. Wow, really interesting. You 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 thought about shutting about shutting down the business a couple of times or just not shutting down or selling for a laughable sum, you know, now just to get some kind of money in our pockets from a lot of years of pushing. So I think that gives a lot of perspective, particularly for, again, we're a bootstrap company. I don't know anything else. Yeah. All right. It's, It's super interesting that you mentioned that because from the outside, people think not just of ecosystems that, you know, that it's all, 
a really fun ride going upwards all the time and it's not it's not that stressful at least at least that way you that's what you read on the media right but when you get to talk to people that have been through it on that it's another perspective it's a different story right so you mentioned just now bootstrap which is one of the other questions that we had why why did you guys decide to be bootstrap and never raise money so the way you know just to to also hint on the you know the, the last question you know something something for me that early on was a bit of a struggle is as once I graduated from the University of Miami, everyone started their careers, you know, they were in finance and marketing, they all got their first job, they were, you know, advancing seemingly in their second, third, fourth year. And, you know, you have this vision, and you're constantly trying to pitch it and get it across and get people to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you traveling across the country installing toilets? And it's tough, right? You, you feel like you're behind when you're really not, you're learning so many lessons along the so just keep that in mind for any budding entrepreneurs. You know, in terms of the validation, knowing when to walk away is important. But you know, you know, and you could validate within yourself that you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, keep moving, and that kind of parlays into your next question: Why did we bootstrap? It often the answer kind of ties into why we didn't outsource our team. We really didn't know any other way. We took this full cycle from sales all the way through execution, you know, billing back to sell, selling the next job and you know, repeating the cycle until we you know, built up a bit of a cushion. It was the mentality that we always, always went in and we never, we started a business to not have to answer to the next person to, to build something, you know, to bring people along on that rocket ship. So it just kind of, it was natural. There was never a moment where we, you know, thought, should we, should we not? It just we started the foundation and built upon it. To warn you, we go on instinct sometimes. Yeah. Very interesting. What was your plan to capture all the new business coming your way with the wave of people moving from New York and other cold cities to Miami due to COVID? Well, I think one, one thing to note about us is while, again, we're, we're Miami-based, most of our customers are large real estate portfolios that might have stuff in 20 states. So this sort of, uh, that migration in and of itself we don't actually work much in, in New York. So I guess the migration of suburbs where we actually do most of our work in that type of housing likely will benefit. I mean, for us, what we're more looking at now is, so let's say our biggest customers are multifamily apartment communities. So what are they worrying about? They're worrying about people paying their rent, right? If people aren't paying their rent, they're not going to have the capital to invest in sustainability. And so that's more of the sort of metrics that we're looking at. But this, yes, this kind of what's happening with where people are moving is is an interesting i think long-term trend it's hard to know how much of that will last beyond the pandemic or not but that's that's really where our focus is and and there is like i said a number of large portfolios that we're looking at hopefully closing in the next month really it comes down to making sure that we built the proper infrastructure that we sort of ignored when we were growing the first time to sustain an even larger growth spurt. That's our focus now. And whether if it's in Florida or if it's in Ohio or Arizona, where we have a team right now, we're sort of geographically neutral in that respect. So I mean, going, going to, to that point, another question that we have was regarding how do you manage a multi-state company with all the operational complexities that that brings, right? That's an interesting one too. Well, that's definitely Lawrence's answer. It's, it's not easy because we have to, Different municipalities have different regulations. So it all starts on the back office level. For me, the answer definitely 
starts, it's, it's the people, you know, we, we hire the right people, we bring them around. And then once you get past the people, it's communication. You need to be able to set up projects, you know, drop containers, drop product, have the proper communication lines in the systems to be able to execute it. You know, it's not magic. However, we get it done. It's, it's, it's tough to, tough to pinpoint. I would say Lawrence doesn't give himself enough credit there. So we, what's really unique about us too, is because most of our teams are full-time travel teams, we not only, they not only work with us during the day, but we house them at night, usually in like Airbnbs. And so you're having, let's say you're living with your coworkers on our teams. And so there's a whole host of, let's say, personnel issues, stories. Maybe if you next one would be happy hour, we can do some fun story time. But, you know, that, that has to be managed. And a lot of that, one is, is making sure, I think, that you have enough leaders to on our on our teams that can carry our culture to the remote remotely that's one of our big challenges is making sure that the culture we build here you know respect and hard work and commitment to the environment carries all the trickles all the way down to our field teams and you know Lawrence has done a really good job particularly in our growth spurt I mean we were on the road 50 plus percent of the time Lawrence even more we have done that less and now is the time for us to really make sure that the leadership team and the management team beneath us. Sometimes we have to tell these stories. The newer folks don't believe us. It's a lot of stories we tell, but make sure that that continues. And that actually is something that we've struggled with. We can't be everywhere now. So what happens next? And that's why you keep hearing Lawrence and I talk about the foundation because that is extremely challenging, but it is possible. But you have to be able to get your hands dirty. So one other thing I want to add too in our, in our company culture is no matter who you are, you could be the accountant, or whoever, you have to go work on a job site for at least a day because everyone in the company is understanding what the, the heart and soul is, and that's on the implementation side of the business. And we do that because, you know, that sort of blue collar, white collar respect is foundational to us and helps us make sure that we are aligned and united as a team, no matter where somebody is. Oh, that's super interesting. There's a lot, there's companies that do that, like RBI, Burger King, you need to, if you want to work with them, you need to like be working at the restaurants for a couple of months or, or a couple of weeks. But it's super interesting. So Richard, you mentioned just now a little bit about how, or you kind of alluded to the fact that it was tough to get the PPP and the disaster loan. And it'd be great to learn a little bit about your story regarding that experience. So there are two different experiences. I think that the thing for us is, you know, when it was coming out, obviously Congress wanted to really, I guess, get, get funds out quickly. The problem was is that the rules keep shifting. And, you know, at this time you're trying to figure out forgiveness. And so there's a real lack of clarity coming down that was a bit difficult to navigate. I can't I have to ask Marina how many webinars she sat through in our course in April, but like it was an absurd amount of webinars and things to try to figure out what the heck was going on. You know, and I think that as, as business people, even at our level, we can handle uncertainty, but there's a certain tolerance. <laughs> so yeah, there's April's in here actually just count, just commented about, <laughs> but there's, the other thing is the SBA loan, and this is actually, uh, we were one of the first ones to get approved on it. We were on Johnny on the spot, did a great job, and we got stuck in some kind of bureaucratic system black hole where for months we couldn't get, despite the fact us closing the signing the closing documents, they didn't process us and they never dispersed the actual SBA disaster loan. And so, you know, getting, I, I maybe made like 50 calls to the SBA. No one couldn't get through to anybody. Then I, then I contacted you. And I said, hey, 
<laughs> never know anybody who could help us. And, you know, lo and behold, even, even then they were saying we weren't in the system. And I kept sending screenshots and, you know, contracts saying, yeah, we're here, we're here. But, you know, that's one where I think if the government was taking a few lessons out of this is to try to really provide as much clarity up front as possible. It's extremely difficult to navigate. Yeah, luckily we have we have our own secret weapon in the team, which is Rebecca Negro. Uh, I'm assuming she's she's in this call too, but she was she was the one to help you out with that. So guys, what I had one question, and while the the audience, if if you guys have more questions, you can of course write them in the chat. There's a really interesting question that I always like to ask. So if you were to appear in the cover of Forbes magazine, three, four, or five years from now, what would you want the title to be? in terms of or you as founders or, or ecosystems as a, as a company? What do you want to be remembered by? I'd have to say our mission, the most impactful conservation company in the country, both environmentally and business. Yeah, our, t our, our whole motto is conservation is good for business. And so, you know, we're really trying hard to make sure that we can't really affect as much on, let's say, the governmental or personal habit side of things, but where we really, I think, have had an impact is in getting business buy-in to the point where a lot of our reporting is now being used. Like ESG is a big thing now, you know, environmental, social governments that it wasn't before. And actually a lot of our impact reporting and statistics are being reported on like Wall Street earnings calls and things like that. And, you know, maybe it's for the wrong reasons, maybe it's for the right reasons, but we do want to be known for having a really, strong impact okay guys that's amazing that's a really good cover of a magazine by the way love it yeah. so i guess i don't know if anyone else from the audience is interested in asking any question to to richard or lawrence if if yes at the time it's now if not i mean richard gave us his email if anyone here wants to, to contact him he's a outside of being a fantastic entrepreneur just like lawrence both of these guys that you're seeing right here are just amazing amazing human beings so if I were in your shoes, I would definitely take, take advantage of that, of that email and, and start shooting, shooting these guys. You have to wear that shirt more often saying such nice things about us. Exactly. For, <laughs> if you talk to Lawrence, you have to buy one of their t-shirts. <laughs> there you or, go. Or Richard. And just throwing my email out there as well, lawrence at ecosystems.com. Also happy. Great. I guess we have one, I, I think we have one more question. So based, based on your experience through COVID, is there something you're doing now that you had never considered before that you believe will, will set you up to be ready for the next big event. Interesting. Processes, I think, is one of the things that you mentioned in the past. But Look, we, we looked into and we were asked by a bunch of our customers to get more into wellness. And we looked into like things like UV lighting and different virus fighting technologies. Ultimately, we decided at the time that you know there's a phrase that I think I also annoy our staff with where I keep saying win one gold medal at a time. And so we won water, we moved into lighting and energy. Next, we need to win energy and that's our next phase. And then we'll look at the next thing, you know? And I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, you get try to pull in too many directions. There's a lot of shiny objects. There's a lot of, particularly in sustainability, there's a lot of people that come to us and say, you should be doing solar. You should be doing whatever, anything, think of anything in sustainability that's been suggested to us. And I always say, yes, we should. But, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, we, we try to stay disciplined in our focus to make sure that, you know, we build a company that's known for its quality. That's how we got here. That's how I think we'll continue to grow and make sure that as it grows beyond us, that um, that quality remains. 
but really that's that's sort of our focus right now we have a, no, a number of initiatives we're trying to build out for 2021 stay tuned to that but in the meantime we're really just trying to make sure that we are really the top company doing what we're doing Side of that in, a, in the short term walking into people's apartments looking like the bubble boy completely wrapped in ppe gear and I, I don't think that that's going anywhere, whether that's now or five years from now. But then again, entrepreneurs are built for change, right? Yeah, so we'll, be, we'll be okay. Perfect. Guys, it's always a pleasure, a great pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much for your time. And we'll stay in touch, of course. Thank you, everybody. Like what you just heard? If you would like your business or platform to be mentioned on our podcast, we now have sponsorship options available. Email us at podcast at the lamiami.com for a spot on the big idea box. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the Big Idea Box podcast. And remember, always share with a friend. Stay connected and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the big idea box.